today's episode. For me, I'm looking for a good wrinkle uh, resistance sporium because if it gets into the crop, it can be quite damaging uh, to yield. You know, I, I'd quite like to, to see Firefox develop, but but we're only, it's only going to be sown if we've got confidence coming up to the end of the year that, that, that there's going to be um, some intake of that variety. Welcome to Cropcast. I'm Tiffany McTaggart, and this week we're going to be talking about spring barley and winter barley varieties. Today, we're delighted to be joined once again by Steve Hode, team leader specialising in agronomy, physiology and genetics at SRUC, and Donald Dunbar, regional manager at SAC Consulting. Um, So thinking about winter barley, um, Steve, could you just tell me the difference between having a six row variety or a two row variety? Yes, so the, the difference here relates to the, the structure of the barley ear. So essentially when you, when you, when you uh, t- take an ear uh, t- towards uh, harvest time, you will see a distinct difference in the alignment of the, the florets or the grains within the ear. And so the difference between the two, the two row uh, type and the, the, the six row type. So you'll notice this um, was certainly nowadays uh, the most um, uh, clear, clear way to look at this is to look at one of the, um, the six-row hybrid varieties and then you would look at uh, one of our um, main sort of two-row varieties kind of side by side and then you can compare the number of rows of uh, florets or grains and then the number of grains per ear. So it's really quite a dramatic difference. Donald, do most of your growers uh, grow a six-row or a two-row? I think it's fairly evenly split. So there are people who are growing two-row because they are still growing a malting variety. And, uh, you know, goodness me, that could still be peril for some of them. Uh, But they're getting a premium and they're sticking with it. Uh, Six-row is very much a feed and they're going for yield. Um, And I would say it tends to be the growers who are uh, geared up for looking after a variety, um, being focused on their timings, uh, uh, or or perhaps that has maybe been uh, more in the past. They don't tend to be the livestock grower who's going to keep it for feed because of the, uh, the thinner grain sample um the, sometimes needles and pins is an expression uh, that i have heard from uh, somebody who's grown a six row so, so the, the livestock growers tend to favor the two rows uh, because they get a bolder grain um and they, they're probably a more fertile site because they have grass in the rotation and maybe some mucks and manures and the standing ability uh, of the two rows is, uh, is better than the six row the six row can take a bit of looking after from a growth regulator point of view. Uh, so, yeah, more recently, uh, two rows have got higher yielding, but uh, I, I would say it's fairly 50-50 at the moment. 
So you mentioned um, malting um, with pearl being used. And I seem to believe that's not been on um, any trials um, for quite a few years because it's one of the older varieties. Is there many malting varieties on the recommended list? Certainly in the Scottish list, no. Um, we've really cut this down to perhaps one or two varieties in any particular year. And this is simply the fact that, that the sector is relatively small in Scotland. It's much more important in, in, in England to have a bit more choice when it comes to the malting varieties. So, so Donald mentioned uh, Pearl, which has not been on the recommended list for many years, but is still grown for that, that use. And we've got a couple of other varieties, Craft uh, and, and the new variety, Buccaneer, that, that could go and, and suit that, um, that particular sector. Well, in England, in fact, um, Marisotta is still widely grown. And that, that really is a, 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 a much older variety now. And so I think the, the end users in this case kind of um, then appreciate the value uh, the, the, the quality features that some of the older varieties provide for their particular processes. It's become a, a specialist variety, uh, a bit like uh, Golden Promise in the spring barley. Uh, you know, there's still an acreage uh, demanded. So last time we spoke about uh, winter wheat varieties and there was a lot of talk about after a couple of years the variety starting to break down and not being successful but if Pearl's been around for quite a few years is that breakdown and resistance not happening as quickly in the winter barley? Well I, I think with that that particular example we'd, we'd probably need to think more of uh, of a of an English context and, and, and malting barley sort of going in, in, into the brewing sector. I think in more of a, a Scottish and, and Scottish feed sector, we probably want to think of perhaps progression of feed barleys over a number of years and see what's changed in those. So we, we've seen quite a clear progression in Yield improvement in trials, so if we focus on two-row feed, feed barleys, quite an improvement in, in yield, but also improved consistency in features such as um, specific weight. So if you were to refer to a variety like Pearl, well, the, well, the more modern malting varieties have got some improvement in yield and improvement in quality. But if it's feed, which is more important for, for Scottish growers, then there's improvement in yield and improvement in features such as, um, or consistency in some features such as um, specific weight. So that's, that's um, a measure of two key components, which is the density of grains and also the way that grains pack in a bulk. So the high specific weight has is uh, quite high fat value, particularly in the the feed sector. I think we saw the six rows um, had a new breakthrough in in yield with the hybrids coming through, uh, which you know, was an attraction to growers. Um, bazooka is still growing. Uh, it's been around for a good number of years. Um, 
Kingsbarn uh, is probably the, the the main six row variety in terms of uh, acreage in the ground, um, and a, you know, so they've stuck around for for a while. Uh, the when you look at the two rows, they're, they're a lot newer. Um, LG Mountain was the kind of breakthrough in the higher yielding two row, but it, it did uh, a, you know a higher level of, of screenings uh, and uh, you know greater brackling seemed to be the trade off that you, that you paid for that higher yield. But now um, I think with uh, Tardis and Bolton. Um, you 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 have better agronomic characteristics, certainly in, in grain quality, and you've gone another step in yield to a point where you are starting to approach the yield of six rows. And it'll be interesting to see, um, is it Caraval, Steve, how, how it comes through the trials this year? Yeah, compared to the the discussion we had previously about winter weeds. Um, compared to the, the development of varieties there in, in the main categories, in the winter barley, the two-row for feed, it seems like we've got a really nice succession of varieties year after year, which has given us uh, at least as good as the current best. And so we're getting this sequence where we got one or two really good varieties each year being added to the to the Scottish list. And um, varieties like uh, LG uh, Caravel and uh, Bolivia, you know, are, are the latest varieties added to, to the Scottish list. And and they they look very attractive in terms of quality and and yield for for Scottish growers. It's good that there's um, new varieties coming in. Is there a variety that stands out as having high disease resistance? Winter barley is, um, is interesting because a lot of the, the disease resistance, so as an overall package, we might describe it as just being, being kind of mediocre. Uh, whereas in, in, the, in the wheat varieties, we, we've got perhaps um, some very promising improvements in some of the, the harder textured wheats. Whereas in, in winter barley, overall, the disease resistances are, are much more kind of more in the middle. And um, we've got some improvements, perhaps in resistance to rhinchosporium in one or two of, of, of the varieties. But that's still something we really need to see so that we can make sure that more varieties have uh, untreated yields well into the 90s. So that's the percentage yield relative to, to the treated control. For me, I'm looking for a good wrinkle uh, resistance, wrinkosporium, because if it gets into the crop, it can be quite damaging uh, to yield. Uh, mildew to, you know, it's unsightly, but it doesn't have that same yield impact and when you look at the list uh, the one that catches the eye uh, would be there's a, a new six row six row nephin uh, which has an eight for wrinkle you know there's nothing else uh, that has an eight score for rhinchosporium in winter barley you know five is our you know is our norm five or six uh, a few sevens dotted across there, so that you know that's interesting. That you know we do have a variety with that 
uh, improved characteristic uh, for resistance for, for wrinkle. And it's an early disease in terms of getting into the crop. Uh, and, and if your T1 timing is delayed, you know, you're, you're fighting a rear guard action for the rest of the season. Uh, so, so that's interesting to see. I'm not sure if there's anything else coming through in terms of the candidate varieties, Steve, that, uh, that we can, uh, ha there's a bit of interest in a, a better disease resistance. Yeah, we, we are starting to see varieties that, that have got kind of strong, strong sixes or, or nudging into sevens. But, but it's something I think certainly for Rhinchosporium, um, we, we would really like to see the, the whole uh, collection of, of new varieties, you know, re re really pushing so, so that we, so it's a minimum um, is becomes, um, I suppose, a, a seven. And that's, um, we can apply that to the, to the spring crop as well, where many of the new varieties look relatively poor for, for Rhinchosporium. That's disappointing if the new varieties are looking poor. Um, Donald, um, was it Zephyr that you said, is that one that you're going to be um, recommending to some of your clients to get growing next year? I think it's uh, it's still a provisional variety. Uh, seed availability uh, might be an issue. So uh, for the six rows, I, I would still expect Kingsbarn to be you know, the main uh, uh, six row in the ground. Uh, Canyon uh, is in a bit further down the process. Uh, uh, and Steve, do you think it's going to become a, a recommended variety this this coming year? Yeah, it, it looks it looks good in terms of grain quality. Um, relatively good in terms of the untreated yield. I think a lot of the hybrids are are fairly similar in, in their features. And I think it's probably worth just checking on things such as the uh, the straw strength and and look at the the trials um, and and the trial data so that um, you know we are aware that um, the the risk of a of a very high yielding crop has uh, with certainly some of the weaker strawed um, varieties. So, so, so it's just important to, to bear that in mind, and and experience on farm will get will give a good guide as to um, how well a, a variety with a, a six or a seven rating for straw strength might uh, might fare. So, just talking about straw strength, if you're in an exposed location um, and probably a bit windier, is there a variety that you would go to because it's that bit stronger? Well, I think as we had um, in an early discussion on wheat, that there is some variation in that particular feature. So we've got varieties such as um, in, in, into the two rows now, such as KWS um, Tardis, which, which is uh, relatively good. So that that might be a decision that is is. Is made because there's plenty of choice in 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 the two rows as there are in in the hybrids. So if that was a key feature, then um, you know that that might be something to bear in mind. And also um, 
the new variety Bolivia has got a, a very stiff straw as well in, in the two row uh, uh, varieties. So just try to sort of um, factor this into what, what's important in terms of the, the choice under, under the different growing conditions. Yeah, I think there's, uh, if you do have an exposed site, say uh, the variety is part of it, but the um, PGR program is, is actually your insurance and, and you get three opportunities during the growing season. Uh, you know, your late tillering, your, your T1 timing, and, and then a, your opportunity to reduce the brackling uh, by shortening the, the, the neck of the crop. Uh, all that growth regulator uh, can have a detrimental impact uh, uh, on yield, particularly the, the, the later applied uh, uh, final PGR. Uh, so uh, if, the, if, the, if it's a high fertility site and it's exposed, uh, I, I would not grow a six row would be probably my approach. That sounds like uh, sensible advice. Is there varieties that are known to tiller better than others or is that just affected by uh, when it's sown? Yeah, it's something we are often asked. And e even in the, the wheat crop, we, we probably don't have as much information as we'd like about that particular feature because it is so kind of site to site um, dependent. So, so the short answer is no, we don't have enough. So I think it's it probably is important to know for each field the average uh, germination and establishment for each 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 season, so that the farm can build up that record of knowing what the the seed rate was, what the spring plant population is. And then towards harvest, get an idea of what, what the ear population is. So to kind of do things that way, because there, there's, there's quite a lot of um, variety sites and kind of soil interaction. So we're not uh, perhaps as precise as we'd like to be on what you say about um, well tillering or less tillering type of varieties. It is known that the hybrids can produce um, more uh, stronger uh, shoots for each each plant, so each seed. So that's one reason that the the hybrids can be sown at a lower seed rate because e e each plant is able to to produce more uh, stronger uh, individual shoots. We maybe often uh, forget about the importance of adjusting seed rates, and there is. A temptation, I think, that uh, we've sown this at this rate, and uh, last year, the year before, uh, and and we're a wee bit I've been uh, on adjusting them. Uh, but different seasons produce the seed crops with different thousand grain weights, and uh, there can be significantly more seeds in a kilo. Uh, of grain uh, than in the previous season. So it is an important factor uh, because there, your risk of lodging is very much related to the number of stems that, that you have um, uh, by the time you're, you're, you're at stem extension. 
uh, and um, the more stems that are there, the, the higher risk of lodging. Uh, so it, it may feel like going back to basics a bit, but having that thousand grain weight information from the seed supplier uh, when the, the grain comes onto the farm and, and doing the calculation or getting your consultant to do the calculation is a, is a worthwhile exercise. I think it's always good to go back to basics. If you get the basics right, you can then hopefully then start achieving a lot more. So the two row varieties and the six uh, row varieties, is there any difference in when they should uh, be sown? Um, is one more suitable for being early than another? Yeah, it's it's one of these characteristics where the, the database doesn't enable us to, to break this down with, with, with a great confidence. I would say that the, certainly under our growing conditions, that the hybrids are really quite versatile in the way that they can compensate for different growing and growing conditions, different seedbed conditions. So I, I don't think there's kind of a, a really kind of hard, fast rule about um, which particular variety might suit early sowing better than than another one? So, certainly not not in barley. I don't think the database is robust enough to be able to kind of tease that out. So I I think we we've probably got some way to go, and perhaps we need to think about work similar to that that's been done previously in wheat, where we are looking perhaps at um, sowing rate effects. On, on the winter barley crop? I think with barley, you want it in the ground by a certain date on the calendar. Uh, and, and for me, you know, I, I, I don't really want to see barley going in in October. Uh, I want to see it going in in September, regardless if it's six row or a two row, uh, because I think it's it's got a shorter growing season. And if you are late in with barleys, uh, you are risking that yield potential, and 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 going back to the number of tillers, uh, barley seems to you know because it goes in earlier, it does produce more tillers uh, going into the winter uh, than than wheat. Uh, you know, with wheat being sown uh, right through October, uh, even into November. So uh, you know, barley does uh, because of its earlier sowing does naturally end up with more tellers on it. So Steve, what would be your top pick for a winter barley variety? You're thinking about um, what we discussed earlier about perhaps a quite a promising series of varieties coming onto the list sort of year, year after year. I think from perhaps say a standard well-known varieties such as uh, LG mountain we're then thinking of newer varieties like um, kws tardis and bolton as things really to, to try to take advantage of now in terms of their improved treated yield com combined with good grain quality uh, features we we do need to think about um, other features such as um, maturity as well. Some of the new varieties perhaps are, are a little bit later maturing 
than um, LG Mountain. But um, but overall, um, I think we've got a, a good a good selection that still give us that that early harvest opportunity. So I think that something like KWS Tardis does look very attractive, and that there's a there's a lot of um, seed area that's been invested in this particular variety. So it's looking very strong for a uh, for a top uh, position, and I think that's um, going to be perhaps become a new standards against which we then compare varieties like LG Caravelle that we that we mentioned that's very new and also another new variety uh, in its first year on the um sorry second year on the recommended list uh, and that's um lightning which looks very high yielding with a relatively good untreated yield as well for for me going into this autumn sowing uh, tardis uh, i would agree with steve on tardis uh, availability of seed was a little bit difficult last year uh, and quite a few growers ended up with Bolton. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the Bolton performs. Uh, but I, I take up on what Steve said. There's a big seed area went in the ground for TARDIS. It looks like the, the merchants are thinking that that one is the one to back. Uh, and it seems to do particularly well on, on heavy soil. And, and it has that edge on its straw stiffness. Uh, so for the two-row, yeah, TARDIS would be my pick. And and I, I suspect I would still stick with King's Barn in the six-row. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree agree with the, the uh, King's Barn as well, yeah. Just before we do move on to spring barley, is there anything else on the winter barley that uh, we've not talked about, that we should have talked about? I think... People find it an expensive crop to grow, and they grow it because they want an early entry for oil seed rate. And if they could grow something else to give them that early entry, they they might easily they might easily swap. Uh, and if if you had an early maturing spring barley with some of the high yields that are coming through spring barley, I think. There, there is interest in that. They would drop some of the winter barley acreage. And also I've seen some growers drop spring barley and grow winter rye instead. Um, it, it's, it's early days for winter rye in Scotland, but it, but it is finding a place uh, in some situations with there's maybe an anaerobic digester uh, or you know, or a, a particular specialist stock use, but we can say more about that later. So, thinking about spring barley, um, Laureate has been very dominant. Is that still the case? Yes, definitely, it, it, it is. And an intake um, from last year's uh, Scottish harvest. Uh, well, Laureate was uh, two two thirds of the malting intake which is an incredibly uh, dominant position. And it, and it wasn't far behind it, that in terms of the intake in England. So as a, it's, it's, its strength in terms of a UK perspective is, is in its use for both malt distilling and for brewing. So it's got that very dominant position. And in, in Scotland, it, it's supported by uh, two other varieties that – 
go into our uh, main malt distilling usage. And um, we, obviously, we, we, we have a, a more modest intake for, uh, for, for brewing uh, only as, as well. I was quite surprised when Steve said that Laureate was still 64%. I did think that Diablo was going to come through a little bit stronger. Quite a few growers had, uh, had tried both. Um, and I, and I think it's that situation where if you're growing a malt and you've got two varieties, you need to you need to keep them separate uh, because they uh, uh, the maltsters want to take them in as separate varieties. And I think what growers found were that they would take in the laureate quicker, so you would get your lorries, you would get the space in the shed again. Uh, uh, the laureate would go, the Diablo would lie around a bit longer. And I think another factor has been that the Diablo is slightly later. Uh, and so to me, that, that that's probably the reasons why it's, it's, it's maybe not. You know, you need to be in it or, you, uh, or, or you're in the other. Uh, it's difficult maybe to grow two of the malting varieties. Um, and Diablo, Diablo seems to be a similar intake to, to Sassy and it, and it might it might not kick on from then we might see one of the newer varieties starting to come in and uh, take a bit of acreage uh, possibility of Firefox I think uh, it would be one Steve is uh, is that one you have your eye on yeah so um, about a year or so ago we had um, Firefox for malt distilling use and then we had um, SY Tungsten, which had potential for both malt distilling and brewing. But we've lost SY Tungsten now. It, it, it didn't progress with confidence through the latter stages of its evaluation. But we do now have um, uh, Firefox, which looks fairly strong agronomically, uh, and particularly in terms of maturity and also quality for distilling. But it's one of these sectors, as we're probably establishing, uh, is that it's fairly conservative in what it takes in. And so, um, um, so Firefox, you know, I think we'd, we'd like to see it competing well against Laureate and, and be positioned nicely against the other varieties like um, Diablo and, um, and Sassy. Firefox seems to have good agronomic features uh, and a, it's earlier than Laureate and it is also uh, a better standing uh, uh, and still retains that good uh, brackling resistance. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Do you think that um, it has the potential to kick Laureate out of top spot going forward? Yeah, it, it really does um, depend on how the larger bulks get get tested by, by the different malting and um, and, and distilling companies. So they they will then compare. Uh, Firefox against their current favourites, which might be only one or two things that they take in. So, it, it, at the processing end, you know, it's quite a fierce, quite a tough competition. 
And so, so that can take uh, a year or more uh, for a variety to kind of pick up that sort of uh, confidence against a very well-established um, variety. And, um, you know, we hope that the sector can, can view this on balance where we can develop a variety that's strong agronomically as well as a variety that's strong in terms of the, um, the, the, the processing, you know, the, the, the quality for, the, um, for, for malting and then going into, um, into distilling. So I think it, it's – Firefox has got its approval, full approval at, at the right time and uh, it, it, it would be good to see uh, another variety coming on stream, just to give us um, perhaps a, just a little bit more choice in, in what, what we can grow in, in different parts of the country. With the winter wheat and the winter barley, we talked um, a bit about disease resistance. How important is the disease resistance in the spring barley, Donald? I think it... Uh is perhaps less important than in the other crops. From the malting point of view, the grower will grow what the end market wants, regardless of its disease resistance. And we've seen dirty varieties in the past, which we stuck with because that is what they wanted and they would pay the premium for. And you could look back at Golden Promise you know, I swear it had mildew when it came through the ground, far less developed later on. So, um, yeah, I think if you are trying to have a low input system, then uh, wrinkle undoubtedly uh, resistance is a benefit. And there there are some varieties that are better than others. Um, Skyway uh, recently uh, come, come through uh, uh, with a good high yield and it uh, is a, a seven and a um, laureate itself has a seven for rhynchosporium so we actually have a variety at the moment that dominates the market that has good resistance and certainly it offers the opportunity to miss out the t1 spray in certain circumstances where weather conditions are, are, are not putting pressure on the crop. Uh, uh, we have had a run of fairly dry springs and it allows you to leave out that one of those uh, fungicide sprays because in a matter of weeks, you're going to go back uh, once the flag leaf is coming through and, uh, and, and then put on your protective spray. A lot of the varieties at the moment in the spring barley have a nine rating for mildew and you just don't see mildew in the spring barleys anymore. Propino was a variety that was always used to have in a trial because it was particularly weak for rhynchosporium so that you know you would always be reassured that yes it's not just a quirk of the season uh, because this year the trial plots there there was no wrinkle that could be found in the untreated so uh, I'm sure if we had had propino it would have had wrinkle on it but uh, uh, the, the the spring barley does 
you know, have a, a, because of that short growing season, it's perhaps disease resistance isn't such a big factor. And we're not going to leave it completely unprotected. Yes, certainly the yield pe penalty compared to winter wheat, where the yield penalty in the untreated crop could be 30% or more. But in the spring crop, it might be around about 10%. Spring barley crop, it might be about 10%. But I think an important point is, is that although the yield penalty is, is less, the, the crop protection, keep, keeping the plant healthy as possible, is, is important for the, the quality of the grain as well. So it's, it's important to maintain uh, a good specific weight and, and a good, good grain filling, sort of good grain size. And that's, that's highly desirable for the, uh, the malting and, and downstream processes. So that's kind of a, a yield and a quality aspect that, that's quite important in a, in a crop like um, spring barley. How much of an impact does maturity have in the spring barley crops because it has a much shorter growing season? Yeah, it, it's probably um, a little bit less than, say, in, in, in winter wheat, where we're used to very wide uh, spread. I think we've, we've seen over quite a few years now uh, a lightening in maturity in, in spring barley, but then many growers report that um, that's um, sort of counterbalanced by um, seasons that um, are, are gradually sort of influencing kind of an, an earlier harvest, so so kind of the kind of seasons, the the, the warming that, that 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 we're getting, yeah, through um, long-standing uh, farm records, is kind of it's a bit of a trade-off there um, between the um, the uh, later maturity uh, in in varieties being offset by um, the um, perhaps the um, the, the the earliness that we're we're getting through sort of the average uh, growing conditions, but that said, I, I think we we would still prefer varieties that's on the current AHDB scale to be around zero or, or even minus minus one or minus two. So we're still a little bit cautious about um, some varieties that might be uh, plus two in terms of maturity. Because certainly uh, going further north, that, that can mean kind of several days difference then to a, a variety that was um, scored at, uh, at zero for, uh, for, for maturity. I think if you're a livestock grower growing for feed, um, you, you will look at the, that maturity. Uh, you probably wouldn't go for a two. Um, and you would look at uh, straw strength and uh, risk of brackling. And we've had uh, a great amount of choice available to the uh, feed grower um, with the uh, rush of new varieties that came through um, the same time as RGT Planet. Uh, it became quite a, a, a big feed variety, although it was uh, principally uh, for brewing, but a lot of uh, it was just a good high yielding variety 
that 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 stood uh, stood well uh, and had a reasonably good brackling resistance. Um, more recently, uh, we have Perler coming through uh, with a uh, um, very high yielding variety. And although it is a plus one, uh, a minus one would be would be great, but it's a plus one. It has a nine for straw strength, um, a nine for brackling. So in a uh, high fertility situation in an exposed site uh, for a livestock grower, I think hurler is one certainly uh, of interest. Um, uh, Steve, what are your thoughts on hurler? Yeah, hurler does look very attractive on some of these features. A very, very high uh, treated yield, so it would be uh, at the top on the uh, on the Scottish list as uh, among all the varieties. As you say, very good straw strength and resistance to brackling. I guess on the the downside, if we're thinking perhaps the traditional model of a of a feed barley with a longer straw as well, um, it's, it's, it's a fairly short variety, which which probably helps with its standing ability. Um, so just just bear that in mind. Um, its specific weight is perhaps a little bit lower than some of the other varieties. So again, it's um, it's this kind of balance really. Um, if you can cope with a kind of a, a, a moderate specific weight, um, then you can certainly take advantage of its high grain yield. Uh, and bear in mind, it, it is a shorter standing variety. Would you be able to give me your top pick for spring barley? Um, but we're not allowed to say laureate. Um, and could you give me your top pick for malting, for distilling, and for feed, please, Steve? First. Yeah, it's um, it's it's obviously quite quite tricky because this is so determined by by by, by the end user. Uh, and and but it it would be really nice to be able to to see a. a Bit of development, and um, so I, you know, I, I'd quite like to um, to see Firefox develop, but but we're only, it's only going to be sown if we've got confidence, you know, by um, well, com- coming up to the end of the year that that, that there's going to be um, some um, some intake of that variety. But it would be nice to see that um, that that variety develop, and um, and then we've got other new ones following uh, Firefox that look promising. Apart from a uh, Ringosporium uh, rating, they look very, very promising for for Scottish growers. Yeah, I think you know you look at Diviner, and you think, "Gosh, this this looks quite interesting." Uh, it's uh, it's in its early stages, I know, and it's got good agronomic characteristics. Uh, and then you get to disease resistance, and the rating for wrinkle is a three. Uh, so, <laughs> um, slightly disappointing there. But I would agree with Steve on Firefox as as being the one that's uh, of greatest interest to me. Uh, and. Uh, were you wanting a, a feed variety as, as well, Tiffany? Yeah, if there's a feed variety, that would be your top pick. Well, it's it's not a feed variety, but uh, uh, Skyway, uh, uh, I think, is is a pretty decent variety uh, in in terms of 
a if you're growing uh, for the livestock farmer, uh, it's a uh, it, it's not the, the stiffest. Uh, it's not got the uh, uh, it, well. It, it's it's got low screenings. It, it's got a good specific weight. It's a plus one, but uh, it also has quite good balance of disease resistance with a seven for wrinkle. So Skyway would be my my feed choice. Steve, would you have a feed choice? It it is it is important, we, we, and and we do get this um this kind of discussion at some of our sites where uh, feed is is relatively important. It's not always about mal- mal- the malting side, but um yeah, but, but certainly Hurler look, looks attractive, and, and there's still some loyalty to uh, RGT Planet that we've mentioned previously, although. It's looking outclassed in terms of treated yield. Its consistency across sites is is quite amazing, and it's, it is relatively early maturing. And so, as a it's an older but kind of um, very well known, very reliable variety. I think it's it's got a, a loyal following. It's backed up by a lot of brewing interest in the variety um, in in England. So it means that the variety is is being maintained with it within the UK, and um, so we're, you know, we're, we're still um, getting a lot of information about how it how it's performing, and uh, and the idea that it is producing a consistency in in its yield and uh, and quality. I definitely think there sounds like there's lots of different options for spring barley, but it is all in the hands of uh, what the maltsters are wanting. Um, but it's good to hear that there are different options. So if you are looking for a different market or for feed, there's lots of choice there. Yeah, and I think um, as we've we've kind of touched on it, it can take several years to get confidence in a new malting variety and um, you know I, I think um, we've talked about um, the current leaders and then we you know, we do have um, a couple of others we've touched on diviner and an sy Tennyson also another new variety that's that's in the system now they've got both of those have got provisional uh, approval from the malting barley committee. And so that means they're on that kind of first um, step to to wider acceptance. But they still might be two years away from um, really starting to be competitive. But but so far so good. Is there anything else on the spring barley side that you're wanting to talk about? I think, like with the other crops we've been talking about in in our discussions it's um it's interesting to look at results as they come in from the uh, the AHDB harvest uh, reports and to look at um how the the candidates fare as, as well and um so on on spring barley we've, we've got a number of candidates that do look um interesting so they are particularly for malting a, a long way off being in the laureate position, but um, you know, there's there's probably three or four that we might be looking out for, and as we go into our 
reporting in the autumn and next winter, you know, we, we hope to um, have some confidence that we've got some stronger varieties um, coming through. It's a tough process coming through the malting system for a variety. And even once it gets there and is being grown, uh, if it hasn't been tested in a difficult season, it can suddenly lose favor because it's had a germination issue or it's had a skinning issue. I've seen that before with varieties. And, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a challenge for uh, these uh, plant breeders. Uh, it, it must take a long time for a variety to come through to, to, to making it to a point where it's being included in these trials. Uh, uh, to, to then see it just disappear uh, because uh, it's not met the requirement uh, of the producer uh, or it's had a bad season. Uh, I don't know how many years it takes, Steve, you know, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you know. Well, if we're able to think of the, the length of a breeding program, which, say, for a spring barley, we, we can more or less get two uh, seasons in one because breeders can select in the northern and southern hemisphere. So in a sense, we can speed up the number of years, reduce the number of years in the spring crop. But as Donald alludes to, the it's, it's a very tough evaluation process because even a variety that becomes a candidate and then gets on the recommended list has several years to go as we then go through further malting and quality tests. And we can start to get some confidence in, in a new variety. But then if it fails in the, the tests where we're, te where we're working on larger bulks and it doesn't come up to scratch against the current standards, then it, it could just be completely uh, lost from, from the system. So there's a huge investment, even after a variety has gained entry to the recommended list. There's this kind of nervous two or three years to gain that confidence among the um, the, the members of the, the, the malting, distilling and, and brewing community. At least once has been through such a rigorous process, you would be hopeful that um, all the farmers would have confidence and then being able to grow it if maltsters and the brewing industry were happy with it. Yeah, I guess as, as Donald says, um, sometimes you, you, you can come through a testing process and you might have three quite kind years and you don't pick up skinning or, uh, or germination issues, or you might hit, hit that a phase where you, where you end up with um, conditions that um, flag up problems like um, grain, grain skinning or, uh, or, or, or dormancy, the, 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 these kind of things. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's tough. But I think um, for the way that we can relate varieties as sort of, uh, sort of green, amber or red, and we can test them across sites and across years, I think it's hopefully on balance. You know, we're, we're giving each variety a fair, a fair chance over, over several years. I'm just thinking back uh, when Laureate broke through, I think it was, was it at the demise of, was it Belgravia, Steve? 
we had um, I think we had a concerto that was that was uh, a dominant. Concerto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it had it, a bad season, and Laureate was just coming through agronomically, and from a yield point of view, it was just head and shoulders above, and and it was a very quick transition of power. Yeah, that that can happen quickly because it it may be that um, the 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 malting sector can um, perhaps um, move almost in in unison towards uh, a particular variety that that does look attractive it's performing well on farm it has fewer problems in terms of the 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 harvest and handling uh, features that um we we often experience through um perhaps um low specific weight through weathered grain or uh, problems with husk adhesion so um yes yeah, so it's, it's a kind of whole um sort of package of things that we um that we consider here, and as you say, varieties can pick up very, very rapidly, but but also decline very rapidly as well. So that's where we we, we do need varieties that are, or we do, we do need choice, so that we can get varieties to um to develop quickly and develop well if uh, a variety suddenly becomes much more risky. Thank you, Steve and Donald. That has been very interesting and educational. Next up, we have an update from Out in the Field. Hello, my name is George Chalmers, and I'm a consultant with SEC Consulting. This spring has been very challenging for farmers as they try and establish their spring crops. We're starting to see the sunshine and the soil warming up, and we're now seeing more and more fields starting to breer. The crops should start racing through the growth stages, hopefully, but unfortunately, that also means that the weeds will do the same. It now means that we need to start thinking about our weed control strategy. You need to really know what your problem weeds are. Is it grass weeds, broad-leaved weeds, or is it even wild oats? Remember, some weeds are more competitive than others. You have more upright weeds, such as wild oats or cleavers, that can cause real harvesting issues, and also potentially crop quality problems. And you've got other weeds at the other end of the spectrum that are quite prostrate in their nature, such as annual meadow grass, that can look pretty bad in the field, however, don't cause so much of a problem, certainly not in terms of crop yield. Ask yourself if you have a potential weed resistance problem. We're seeing more and more issues with, for instance, chickweed, not in herbicides struggling to control it. Maybe you need to start thinking about using a different chemical with a different mode of action. What are key considerations at this time of the year when it comes to weed control? Firstly, know your weeds. Match the herbicides and their rates to the weed spectrum on your farm. Secondly, do you have resistance issues on farm? If so, think about using herbicides with different modes of action. And finally, going early with spring weed control gives you the best chance of effective control and also reduces competition to the crop. Thank you for joining us today and a massive thank you to our speakers. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and follow our podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes. Why not try listening to Rural Roundup? On the 19th of July, there was an excellent episode with Stephen Thompson, who was talking about the changes being made in policy. It's definitely worth a listen.
the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.